Lord Jesus, we're asking for your holy presence in our lives right now, that what happens here in the next few minutes would be life-changing for some of us, for all of us, Lord, that all of us would come closer in and higher up in our relationship with you, and that not one of us could walk out of here unchanged. Would you help us, Lord, to hear your voice? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, Aaron's got Bibles right there, and let me just give you a little bit of perspective of what's going on. Here's the perspective. There's the creator of the universe. God Almighty made this universe and had everything work exactly the way that he wanted to except for one thing. And that was that on this planet, he made creatures like you and me, billions and billions of creatures who he gave authority to determine for ourselves how history would turn out. He wanted a certain way, but he didn't force that on us. And instead, what we have right now is we've got, what, how many, almost 8 billion people on this planet. And every one of us has gone our own way and rebelled against him. We've spit in his face. Every person in this room has, re has rejected his plan for you. Every person on this planet has rejected him. And so we have, in essence, cut off ourselves from the author of life. And yet God, because he loves us so much, this, this God who created us, wanted to have a relationship with us, and so he took the penalty for all of our rebellion upon himself when he became a human and died on the cross. Do you guys believe that? Yeah. Yeah. So God loves you so much that God became human to die for you. That's incredible. And here's what's so sad, is that in, in spite of the fact that God, in this amazing expression of love, died for every person on this planet. In spite of that, most people don't know. In fact, most of the people that you saw today have no idea what he did. Most of the people that you saw today, who you hung out today, who you worked with, who, were you, in, who you were in class with, don't have any idea the depths of love that God has for them. And guess what we're studying? We're studying the book of Acts, which is the beginning of the completion of what... Of uh, the people who turn to God, the, completion, the, the beginning of the completion of their work in proclaiming the message of Jesus to the world. Jesus was here. God became human. He was here, and just before he left, he explained to his little band of followers what he was going to do. He said, I'm stepping off this planet, but I'm coming back. And in the meantime, I'm giving you, you guys the job of finishing what I started. And the reason I'm doing this is because if, if I go then I'm going to give you guys my spirit so instead of one person doing the work of God on this planet, there's going to be millions and millions and millions. And so what the book of Acts is about is the beginning of those millions, the beginning of that fulfillment of the Great Commission, the beginning of this band of people saying, give us your spirit, oh God, so we can go do what you started doing when you were here, Lord Jesus. And so those people told people, those people told other people. Those people told other people. And finally, some people told you. And those of you who are here who love Jesus have accepted this message and trusted this great God who died for you. And so where we are in this is, does that give you guys some perspective? You're looking at me like I'm crazy. Okay. Are you guys with me? Okay. We're in chapter 18 of Acts. And I know it's taken us a while to get through chapter 18, but that's because there's some really important things that we can take from this and apply to our lives. So chapter 18, you guys remember what's happened? 
Paul's on a missionary journey. And when he gets to Corinth, remember he gets to Corinth, last week we talked about he got a job. He's there in Corinth, he doesn't know anybody, he doesn't have any money, he doesn't have any friends, he doesn't have any church, he doesn't have any car. But he does know how to make tents. So he goes and finds some other people, and he makes tents with them. He's got a job, and he's got a little bit of income. But then, Silas and Timothy, this is where we are, chapter 18, verse 5. Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia. When they came, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching to testify, and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah. Verse 6. This is where we ended last week. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius, Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. Then verse 9, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Sounds like Jessica's testimony a minute ago. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and nobody is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed there for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Okay, think back. Think back. Why did Paul go to Corinth? <laughs> that was a yawn. <laughs> What's that? He got, yeah, he got, first he gets stuck in Athens, and then he, nothing much happens in Athens, so he goes to Corinth. But what's he doing in Corinth? He's proclaiming the gospel. He's on a message to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to the world. Do you guys remember how Jesus had appeared to him back in Chapter 9 on Damascus, he was on his way to kill Christians. You guys remember this? And Jesus appears to him, and his life is changed drastically. And we don't know from chapter 9 what the conversation was between Jesus and Paul when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, right? There's not much of the conversation recorded there. But if you fast forward to chapter 26 of, of Acts, we find out later Paul's telling the story of what happened. And Paul gives us some more information there. And so in chapter 26, let me read to you guys. In chapter 26, and this is kind of a preview of what's coming later on. But verse 14, this is what Paul, Paul is, he's actually a prisoner at this time. He's speaking to King Agrippa. And this is what he tells King Agrippa. He says, we all fell on the ground. Remember when, they, when the, Jesus appears to them in this, this shining light? And Jesus appears to them, they fall on the ground, and Paul's telling the king this. He said, and I, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, that's the language that Jesus spoke. Does anybody speak Aramaic? So, Saul, Saul, uh, this is the English translation, why do you persecute me? Because Saul's persecuting Jesus' people. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, this is again Paul's story. Paul says, who are you, sir? Who are you, Lord? And Jesus answered in verse 15 of Acts 26, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up. Get up on your feet. I have appeared to you for a purpose. Just like the Lord has appeared to you guys, or at least spoken to you for a purpose. I have appeared to you for a purpose. And that purpose is to appoint you, Paul, as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me. Now, this is interesting because we don't have any record of Paul, of 
whether Paul was a part of the crowd that killed Jesus. But my guess, because what Paul says here in Acts 26 is that, Jesus, that Paul had actually seen Jesus before. In fact, I think that's the reason why he hated him so much and was trying to kill Christians. So, but Jesus says, you've seen me, and I'm appointing you who hate me, Paul, as a person who's going to go to the world and tell everybody what you have seen of me and what I will show you. Verse 17 of Acts 26. And this is what Jesus says to him. Now Jesus gives Paul his orders, his marching orders. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And I am sending you to them to open their eyes. This is Paul's commission. I'm sending you to the world to open those people's eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and have a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's what Jesus says to Paul. And what does Paul do? He spends the next 14 years back home. It's like for 14 years, of course, he comes down to Jerusalem once or twice. He's in Antioch a little bit. But for the most part, he's back at home learning how to make tents. But Jesus didn't forget what he had told Paul to do. And so now, 14 years later, we read, if you guys backtrack up to chapter 13, you guys remember in chapter 13, Paul ends up in Antioch. He's worshiping with the church. He's in a, he's in a situation like this. Everybody's involved. People are fasting. People are praying. He's worshiping. And Acts 13, 2, if you guys remember this, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. So in other words, I have a worship service like this. And the Holy Spirit, in some way, we don't know how this happens, but the Holy Spirit speaks through somebody and says, set Barnabas and Saul apart for the work that I've called them. And so they fasted and prayed, they put their hands on them, and they sent Paul and Barnabas off. And so here, 14 years later, Paul steps into the ministry that Jesus had given him on the road to Damascus when his life was changed. The calling had never changed. The call of God was on Paul's life for a long time before it was finally time to go. So Paul and Barnabas start going. And we read about how he, he goes from town to town proclaiming Jesus. And it's like in every town, they just knock him down. He, he has, you guys remember those toys when you were little? Like those, what are they called? The, the punching things? They fall down and they just pop back up. What are they called? Weevil wobbles. I thought the weevil wobbles were the little ones. But there were the big ones, too, like the punchy ones. Or you, I don't know. Maybe that was. Okay, this is what Paul is. I mean, Paul, what we've been studying about Paul over the past how many weeks is he's just knocked down again and again, and he just keeps going. You gotta just think, let's back up. Just think about where he went. He'd left Antioch, his home church. His plans to go into Galatia. He can't go. His plans get muddled up. He plans to go in Mysia. That doesn't work. He plans to go to Philippi. He actually makes it to Philippi, and what do they do? They take, him, they take him and beat him and throw him in jail. You guys remember this? Yeah. They get, he, and then, and then he, he miraculously gets out of jail. So then he goes to Thessalonica because they don't want him in Philippi. So he goes to Thessalonica. Remember what happens there? They riot. So he gets out of there, barely, and he goes to Berea. The riot follows him there. And before the riot really happens, they, they get him out of there, and they send him to Athens. You guys remember this? 
He's at Athens, and that's like what we were talking about when Nathan got stuck in the airport for 36 hours or whatever. There he is, stuck. He doesn't have anything to do. He finally opens his mouth, but nothing much happens. So he's like, okay, we tried that. Now he goes to Corinth. So now, I mean, his batting average is not very good. He's not doing great. So but he gets to Corinth, and how do you think he feels when he gets to Corinth? Uh, and worse than uh, he feels like Jessica when she gets stuck on Parker and has a panic attack. The guy is scared. Do you guys think he was scared? How would you feel when you went on a mission trip of the first six towns that you went to you got kicked out of? Okay, so he's scared, and we know that he's scared because about two years later, he writes a letter to the church in Corinth, and he tells them how scared he was. Does anybody remember where that, where that he writes about his scaredness? First Corinthians, just, first Corinthians 2, exactly. First Corinthians 2, 1. I want you guys to read how Paul's feeling, okay? Because this is going to make sense here in a minute. First Corinthians 2, 1. When I came to you, brothers, he's, he's, he's writing this two years later. He's writing the church in court. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence and superior words as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Like he'd done in Athens. Remember in Athens? He gets there up there in, in the, what, what was the group? The place where all those, the, the wise guys go, and he gives them this amazing speech about Jesus, and everybody's like, duh. Nobody pays any attention, okay? He says, but when I came to you guys, I was scared. Verse 2 of, of 1 Corinthians 2, for when I came to you guys, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, think about what Paul's saying here, guys. Nothing's worked very well up to this point. Yeah, there, have been, there's a, there has been a church established in Philippi, church established in Thessalonica, but he even kicked out of town. And I think he gets to Corinth, and he's like, all I want to know here is Jesus. Could, I just be, could it just be Jesus and me for a while? You guys ever feel like that? It's like, man, that didn't work, that didn't work, I lost that job, I broke up, that girl broke up with me, um, my mom kicked me, whatever the, the hard times were. It's like, can I just get a break and be with Jesus so I resolved when I was with you to do nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Then verse 3, and this is the letter that he's writing to the church in Corinth. He said, when I came to you, I came in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You hear his heart? And my message and my preaching weren't wise and persuasive words. But... It was with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. So that you guys who became believers, you guys became believers not because I was so smart and I used all kinds of great sermon techniques, but you guys became believers because the power of God touched your life. That's what he said, right? That's what he's writing to them. But the, the deal is that he's afraid. He's scared. He's in Corinth and he's afraid. And yet, this is what I want you guys to get. In spite of his fear, he don't give up. He don't give up. That's what we read in verse 5, right? He devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews, Jews who opposed him, saying Jesus is the Christ. He spoke the truth in spite of his fear. And what does he get for his work? Look at verse 6. The Jews opposed him and became abusive. Okay. I want you guys to think about what this means. 
What did the Jews do to Paul? It says they abused him. Yeah, that was that. So that, but that was later here in 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 Corinth. We don't know. We don't know what happens to them. We don't we abuse them. Did they punch him? Did they knock him down? Did they tie him up? Did they lock him up? All we know is that they abused him. We don't know what that means exactly. We just know it's not good. Whatever that abuse was, it wasn't good. And I want you to see what Paul's response is. He doesn't stop doing what Jesus had told him to do back there on the road to Damascus on the day that his life was changed. He hasn't forgotten, guys. He hasn't forgotten what Jesus told him to do. Here's the application for your life. Think about what this means for you. Some of you guys have been knocked hard this year. Some of you have been pushed around this year. Some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been through what you would call abuse. You've been treated unfairly. And some of you guys are saying, that's never happened to me. Guess what? If it hasn't yet, it will. You can count on it. If you follow Jesus, as Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, everybody who wants to live a godly life in Jesus will be persecuted, guaranteed. So you might be saying, well, that's not happened to me yet. If you follow Jesus, you will be persecuted. You know why? Because most of the world is not going to think like you think. If you're not being persecuted now, my guess is you're keeping it a secret who you're following. Because if you open your mouth and share, even gently, guys, never share with, by, with, by pushing people. Never share with manipulation. But if you share gently what Jesus has done for you, you will be ostracized. That's what the Bible says. But here's what I want to remind you guys from Paul's life. Don't let the way that other people treat you, don't let that keep you from doing what God has commissioned you to do. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? Don't let it happen. God's called you to something. Each of you has a call on your life. Every one of you in this room has a call on your life. Every one of you. Every one of you has a call on your life. And if you're like 99% of the people who, are, who say they're following Jesus, if you're like them, then you are going to let the selfishness of other people stop you from doing what God's called you to do. Don't let that happen. Some of you have been hurt. Some of you will be hurt. Some of you, because of the hurt that you've experienced, are consumed with what happened in your past. Some of you spend more of your time thinking about how bad those people were to you than you think about how great God is to you now. Stop thinking about them. And what's worse, guys, is that you can't stop it's like when, when you don't have to think about school or work or whatever you're supposed to do, it's like the automatic go-to thing in your mind, and it goes over and over and over, and what you do every time that you let that go over is instead of the devil having 
access to your life one time, you let him, you let yourself experience the pain of that abuse, that hurt, over and over and over. And I want to say, in Jesus' name, you stop it. Stop that. Do not let the devil's plan through somebody else in your life that happened one time or two times or however many times it happened, it doesn't have to affect you. It doesn't have to destroy your life anymore. Jesus' plan is to set you free. Guys, you have not experienced the pain that Paul experienced. And yet, a little bit later, Paul writes, I want you to think about what, what, what Paul did. In fact, this is what I suggest you do. when, Because when, you're, you're in a habitual pattern if you have those, those thoughts coming again and again. You're, you, you're like, I can't stop it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to quote Paul every time that those thoughts start coming so that it becomes a matter of habit. Instantaneous. The thought comes, you're starting to think about what that girl did or that guy did or that parent did, and instantly you're saying these words. I want you guys to read what, G, what Paul wrote in Philippians 3. Philippians 3 is part of the letter that he wrote to the church in Philippi. You guys are brilliant. And what happened to him in Philippi? Did he, have, uh, did he endure abuse in Philippi? What happened to him? They locked him up. They locked him up. He was treated terribly. And what he says in Philippians 3.10 is worth you making a motto for your life. He says this. And I would suggest you guys memorize this. He's like, I don't want to think about what they did. He's right in that church. He says, I want, he's talking about what he wants in life. Let this be what you want in life. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. In other words, I'll die with him. And so somehow, I don't know how it all works, but I'm going to attain the resurrection from the dead. I'm going to be with him forever. I'm going to rise from the dead. I will be alive forever. What am I afraid about what the people in Philippi might do to me? Not that I've already, then it goes on. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. In other words, I'm not there yet. I'm still learning, guys. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Speaking of what happened on the road to Damascus. Remember? He's like, I'm pressing on. I'm, I want to know Christ. I'm moving forward. I don't do it perfectly yet, but I'm not giving up on that thing that Jesus called me to do back on the road to Damascus. I'm holding on to that. I'm holding on to that. Brothers, I don't, verse, verse 13, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. In other words, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect yet, but there's one thing that I'm sticking to. I am forgetting what is behind I'm forgetting that. I am taking that out of my mind, and I am straining towards what is ahead. Straining. I'm working towards it. I'm straining towards it. I press on towards the goal to win the prize that God, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In other words, there's a goal in Paul's mind. You're like, what am I going to think about what that, those people did to me? Yeah, I got put in prison. Yeah, they had a riot. They kicked me out of town. There was a time that people stoned him. He, I mean, he had defeat after defeat after defeat. He's like, it doesn't matter because I want to know Jesus. And I'm just begging you. You guys have to, my friends here at Scorsese, we're doing something that is like Paul. We're pushing this gospel forward. We're not just coming to have some meeting. 
We are changing the world. I'm begging you guys, put all that stuff behind you. Let's move forward in the calling that God has in your life and don't let one person's wrong towards you destroy that. Or a thousand people's wrong towards you. It doesn't matter. Wash it off. Let the, just like Jessica said, just cast every care on him. And when those thoughts come, learn this verse. There's two verses, two scriptures to learn. She said Psalm 23. Now learn this one too. Philippians 3. Okay, I want you guys to see what Paul does. In verse 6. They abuse him. They hurt him. He shakes off his clothes in protest. It's like, I don't know, he's probably got a robe, and he just takes off, and he shakes off. I mean, it's obviously a cultural thing that's happening. They're like, okay, I'll let it go. He shakes off his clothes in protest and says to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. In other words, I've done what I can do to convince you of life that is available for you, and I'm letting you go. And I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Okay, two things I want you to see here, guys. Just a little bit more, and then we're going to break up into small groups. First of all, he walks away from them, but only after he warns them. And then he doesn't stop. And here's what's important, guys, is that he doesn't move on. He doesn't walk away from them until he's given it his best shot to convince them. And what that means for you is there is a time for you to shake off the responsibility of trying to convince people of the truth of the gospel, but not until you've given it your best shot. Not until you've warned the people who are right before you. And I want you to see what he does. Verse 7. Verse 7, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Now why does he go next door? Why does he, I mean, it's like you get kicked out of the synagogue, you go next door? How about going across town where they can't bother you anymore? You know why he goes next door? Thank you for asking. Because Titius Justice lives next door. And while Paul's been teaching over there, he's kind of had his ear up against the fence. Listen to what's going on. And God is doing something in Titius Justice's life, and he's getting to know Paul, and he starts to understand the gospel message. And he begins, what it says here is, he worships God. You guys see that? And so when the abuse happens, and Titus Justice sees what's going on, he's like, hey, dude, use my place. Come on over. And then it gets even better because here's what's happened. Verse 8. Christmas, the synagogue ruler, in other words, the pastor at the synagogue, he hears about what's going on at Titus Justice's house. He's looking over the fence at his neighbors, and he becomes a believer. Do you guys see this? His whole household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him and believed were baptized. Here's the point, guys. Your neighbors notice what you're doing. Your neighbors are watching you. The neighbors at your workplace, the neighbors at your home, your roommates, your housemates, your doormates, your classmates, they are are watching you. And Crispus, this guy Crispus, who's the pastor, of the, the, the Jewish rabbi at the synagogue, who becomes a believer, he's mentioned in 1 Corinthians as a guy that Paul baptized. Is that cool or what? So here's my question for you guys. 
What are your What are your neighbors seeing in your life? Are you Are the people who are watching you convinced that what you are living for is something they want to be a part of? Guys, I'm begging you to live that way. Your classmates, your coworkers, and if not, then I'm just asking you, why not? And let me ask you this. Let me just let me let me just suggest that, the, that there's two reasons why if you're not living in, in, the, in that kind of way before other people, in front of other people, that it's because either you don't care, it's apathy, or it's because you're afraid of what they might think of you. Apathy, it's like whatever. I know some people are going to hell, but I got a busy schedule. And fear, fear of what they might think, fear of what other people might think if you open your big mouth, fear that you might fail, that maybe you're like, hey, let me try to share the gospel with you, and they turn you away. They probably will turn you away. A lot of people do. Fear that you'll put time into this person, then you won't be able to get rid of them. You ever had that? It's like they think you're the Savior instead of Jesus. Fear that you won't have time to get all the important things done in your life? Because if that's the way you think, you're in good company because Paul's afraid too. In fact, that's in this next verse, and this is what we're going to end with. Verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. You know why he's saying that? Because he's afraid. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For... I am with you, and no one is going to harm, attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. Guys, the Lord is speaking to every one of us, the same thing as speaking to Paul. Don't be afraid, guys. Don't be afraid. Would you guys just say this with me? Say, I am not afraid. I will keep on speaking. I will not be silent. The Lord Jesus is with me, so nothing will harm me. And here's the great news. Because that's true, there are people in this city who are going to belong to Jesus because of those truths. And so look what happens. After Paul's been hopping from town to town, running for his life, verse 11, Paul sticks around in Corinth for a year and a half. But what I want you guys to see is he doesn't just stick around in Corinth for a year and a half hanging out. He spends a year and a half teaching the Word of God. In other words, he does what Jesus called him to do. And he's only able to do it because he overcomes the fear that was in him because the Word of the Lord had been spoken to him. Okay, guys, let's do this. Let's break up into small groups. You guys praying in your groups. We've got um, questions on um, utacornerstone.com slash discussions. So we got a group in each of the rooms upstairs, and we got a group down here, or two if we need them. Okay?